I will be reading chapter 3. It was a cold morning, sharp and fresh. It was quiet until the sun came shooting over the hills, lifting the mist from the valley and clearing the bloodshot from the sky. The ground was wet with dew. On the maidan, a broad stretch of grassland, Ranbir and another youth wrestled each other, their muscles rippling, their well-oiled limbs catching the first rays of the sun as it climbed the horizon somi sat on his veranda steps his long hair loose resting on his knees drying in the morning sun suri was still dead to the world lost in the blanket he cared not for the morning or the sun rashti stood at the gate until his guardian was comfortably seated behind the wheel of the car and did not move until it had disappeared round the bend in the road the missionary's wife that large cauliflower like lady rose unexpectedly from behind a hedge and called good morning dear if you aren't very busy this morning would you like to give me a hand pruning this hedge the missionary's wife was fond of putting rashti to work in her garden if it wasn't cutting the hedge it was weeding the flower beds and watering the plants or clearing the garden path of stones or hunting beetles and ladybirds and dropping them over the wall oh uh, good morning stammered rashti actually uh, i was going for a walk can i help you when i come back i won't be long the missionary's wife was rather taken back for rashti seldom said no and before she could make another sally the boy was on his way he had a dreadful feeling she would call him back she was a kind woman but talkative and boring and rashti knew what would follow the garden work weak tea or lemonade and then a game of cards probably beggar my neighbor but to his relief she called after him all right dear come back soon and be good he waved to her and walked rapidly down the road and the direction he took was different to the one in which he usually wandered far down the road was the bazaar first rashti must pass the rows of neat cottages arriving at a commercial area dehra's westernized shopping center where europeans rich indians and american tourists en route for masuri could eat at smart restaurants and drink prohibited alcohol but the boy was afraid and distrustful of anything smart and sophisticated and he hurried past the shopping center he came to the clock tower which was a tower without a clock it had been built from public subscriptions but not enough money had been gathered for the addition of a clock it had been lifeless 5 years but served as a good landmark on the other side of the clock tower lay the bazaar and in the bazaar lay india on the other side of the clock tower began life itself and all three the bazaar and india and life itself were forbidden rashti's heart was beating fast as he reached the clock tower he was about to defy the law of his guardian and of his community he stood at the clock tower nervous hesitant biting his nails he was afraid of discovery and punishment but hungering curiosity impelled him forward the bazaar and india and life itself all began with a rush of noise and confusion the boy plunged into the throng of bustling people the road was hot and close alive with the cries of vendors and smell of cattle and ripening dung 
children played hopscotch in alleyways or gambled with coins, scuffling in the gutter for a lost Anna. And the cows moved leisurely through the crowd, noising, nosing around for paper and stale, discarded vegetables, the more daring cows helping themselves at open stalls. And above the uneven tempo of the noise came the blare of loudspeaker playing a popular piece of music. Now here we see a picture where Rashti is walking towards the bazaar. We can see the clock tower without the clock there. There are vendors shouting, cows moving through the crowds and it is a very busy place. Rashti moved along with the crowd, fascinated by the sight of beggars lying on the roadside, naked and emaciated half-humans, some skeletons, some covered with sores, old men dying, children dying, mothers with sucking babies living and dying. But strangely enough, the boy could feel nothing for these people. Perhaps it was because they were no longer recognizable as humans or because he could not see himself in the same circumstances. And no one else in the bazaar seemed to feel for them. Like the cows and the loudspeaker, the beggars were a natural growth in the bazaar. And only the well-to-do, sacrificing a few anas to placate their consciences, were aware of the beggars' presence. Every little shop was different from the one next to it. After the vegetable stand, green and wet, came the fruit stall, and after the fruit stall, the tea and the beetle leaf shop, and then the astrologer's platform, Manmohan Mukuldev, B. Astrologer, Foreign Degree. And after the astrologers, the toy shop selling trinkets of gay colors. And then after the toy shop, another from whose doors poured clouds of smoke. Out of curiosity, Rusty turned to the shop from which the smoke was coming. But he was not the only person making for it. Approaching from the opposite direction was Somi on his bicycle. Somi, who had not seen Rusty, seemed determined on riding right into the smoky shop in the, on his bicycle. Unfortunately, his way was blocked by Maharani, the queen of the bazaar cows, who moved aside for no one. But the cycle did not lose speed. Rusty, seeing the cycle but not recognizing the rider, felt sorry for the cow. It was sure to be hurt. But with the devil in his heart or in the wheels of his machine, Somi swung clear of Maharani and collided with Rusty and knocked him into the gutter. Accustomed as Rusty was to the delicate sense of the missionary's wife's sweet peas and the occasional smell of bathroom disinfectant, he was nevertheless overpowered by the odor of bad vegetables and kitchen water that rose from the gutter. What the hell do you think you're doing? he cried, choking and spluttering. Hello? said Somi, gripping Rusty by the arm and helping him up. So sorry, not my fault. Anyway, we meet again. Rusty felt for injuries and finding none, exclaimed, Look at the filthy mess I'm in. Somi could not help laughing at the other's unhappy condition. Oh, that is not filth. It is only cabbage water. Do not worry, the clothes will dry. His laugh rang out merrily and there was something about the laugh, some music in it perhaps, that touched a chord of JT in Rusty's own heart. Somi was smiling, and on his mouth the smile was friendly and in his soft brown eyes it was mocking. Well, I'm sorry, 
said Somi, extending his hand. Rusty did not take the hand, but looking the other up and down from turban to slippers, forced himself to say, Get out of my way, please. You're a snob, said Somi without moving. You're a very funny one too. I'm not a snob, said Rusty involuntarily. Then why not forget an accident? You could have missed me, but you didn't try. But if I had missed you, I would have hit the cow. You don't know Maharani. If you hurt her, she goes mad and smashes half the bazaar. Also, the bicycle might have been spoiled. Now please come and have chat with me. Rusty had no idea what was meant by the word chat. But before he could refuse the invitation, Somi had bundled him into the shop from which the smoke still poured. At first, nothing could be made out. Then gradually, the smoke seemed to clear and there in front of the boys, like some shining god, sat a man enveloped in rolls of glistening, oily flesh. In front of him, on a coal fire, was a massive pan in which sizzled a sea of fat and with deft, practiced fingers, he moulded and flipped potato cakes in and out of the pan. The shop was crowded, but so thick was the screen of smoke and steam that it was only the murmur of conversation which made known the presence of many people. A plate made of banana leaves was thrust into Rusty's hands and two fried cakes suddenly appeared in it. Eat, said Somi, pressing the novice down until they were both seated on the floor, their backs on the wall. They are tikkis, explained Somi. Tell me if you like them. Rusty tasted a bit. It was hot. He waited a minute, then tasted another bit. It was still hot, but in a different way. Now it was lively, interesting. It had a different taste to anything he had eaten before. Suspicious but inquisitive, he finished the tiki and waited to see if anything would happen. Have you had before? asked Somi. No, said Rusty anxiously. What will it do? It might worry your stomach a little at first, but you will get used to it the more often you eat. So finish the other one too. Rusty had not realized the extent of his submission to the other's wishes. At one moment he had been angry, ill-mannered, but since the laugh he had obeyed Somi without demur. Somi wore a cotton tunic and shorts and sat cross-legged, his feet pressed against his thighs. His skin was a golden brown, dark on his legs and arms but fair, very fair, where his shirt lay open. His hands were dirty but eloquent. His eyes, deep brown and dreamy, had depth and roundness. He said, My name is Somi. Please tell me what is yours. I have forgotten. Rusty. How do you do? said Somi. I am very pleased to meet you. Haven't we met before? Rusty mumbled to himself in an effort to sulk. That was a long time ago, said Somi. Now we are friends, yes, best favorite friends. Rusty continued to mumble under his breath, but he took the warm, muddy hand that Somi gave him and shook it. He finished the tiki on his leaf and accepted another. Then he said, How do you do, Somi? I'm very pleased to meet you. In the end, we see a picture of a vendor carrying the items he wants to sell, a tree and a woman sitting under the tree selling items. End of chapter 3.
the next part will be read by the next reader